Hey, everybody. On the run with Beards and Dunn. Beards, it's episode number 30. We've done this 30 I, times. Wow, that's that's awesome, Mikey. And I, it's, <laughs> it's this has been so much fun. And I tell you what, you know, I am all turkeyed out, mashed potatoed <laughs> out, sweet potatoed out. I, I finished up the last of it yesterday and... Uh, I won't see another turkey leg until <laughs> Christmas now. <laughs> I know. I tell you that that Thanksgiving holiday time. I once read a statistic, and I, you know, people make up statistics all the time. Right. But it said the average person gains six pounds between Thanksgiving and like New Year's Day. You know, through that I holiday season. If, if they're not doing oh. like you know, you and Karen are all biking. I oh. run every day. <laughs> yeah. So that helps. It does. We're we're just trying to hold back the floodgate. <laughs> But, right. You know, and then there, you know, you, you kind of sit there and go, man, that's a lot. And, you know, over time, that six pounds after 10 years, <laughs> right? Gets, you know, and I hate to bring it up, but I see a lot of former runners who, once they quit running, you know, their body, oh. their metabolism kind of, I don't know, they're used to eating a lot and it tastes right. good. And, and that's one of the, you know, the old, uh, the old joke was, do you run to eat or do you eat to run? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and there was a time when we used to, you know, eat to run because we had to be ready for workouts and you knew right. Fuel load. ourselves. Yeah. Now it's kind of like, why do I still work out? Cause I like to eat. <laughs> I want to <laughs> right. keep my, my health. But anyway, what well, last episode we were telling stories and, and I really enjoyed that. You know, I did too. It makes me laugh. And when I laugh, I feel good. And, and, um, well done. Yeah. I listened to it the other day, watch it on YouTube and, you know, I know all the stories and I'm just, <laughs> I, still, I'm, I got tears coming down. Well, my eyes. After we got done, I thought of another one. I'm going to roll. Let's, let's kind of keep that going. If we can, for yeah. a little while. see how many stories yeah. we can come up with. Well, I thought of one after we ended the other week and I thought, dang, I forgot this one. And it's like, ah, heck, let's do it this week. And you bet. I'm going to tell you a quick one that, um, in 1977, I was a junior in college and every year after cross country, I'd run a marathon. So like in 1975, I went down to Topeka, Kansas and ran a marathon and, in 76, I went back to the same race. And then 1977 rolled around, and I I always was really fit after cross-country right. season was over. We'd done all those darn 20-milers, and it just seemed like the perfect time because track was way off a few months away. And and so I'd always want to take advantage of my fitness. And and I had a teammate named Paul Borsma. And Paul was I remember a, Paul, oh, big Paul, beard. Big guy. His nickname was Wolfman. And yeah. I'm going to put a, a picture of us on, because I have a great picture of Paul and I and, and the crew that went to Phoenix, Arizona. And it was like early December of 1977. It was like December 10th, I think. And it was a race called the Fiesta Bowl Marathon. And a good runner, and you know him, Ed Mendoza. Absolutely. Had won the race like in 1976. Ed was a you know, from young on, he was a phenomenal. Well, he runner. was a two ten marathon, exactly, and he had won it like the year before in like two thirteen. And so I knew the course was fast because that guy they'd run fast there, and it's from Scottsdale to Phoenix. And if anybody's ever been down to that stretch of the woods back in the seventies, it was desert, it, and it was I basically bet. flat as a pancake. And if anything, it might have helped you a little bit from the you know, from the Scottsdale's north of Phoenix and there's mountains up there. I think it might've just been a tish downhill. I mean, it was a probably fast, just a little bit oh, fast, fast course. There was not a ripple of a hill on that course. <laughs> and, and so I, I said to Paul, I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm thinking of going and doing this Fiesta Bowl marathon. And he goes, Mike, I have always wanted to do a marathon. Uh, Paul was an outstanding uh, Lincoln high school runner out of Sioux Falls, ran for Rich Greeno. He came up to South Dakota state and he, um, 
he was a worker. Uh, I don't know if he got any scholarship or anything. I don't think so. I think he walked on and, but he, uh, he helped them win the national title. Uh, I, wow. I don't know if he scored uh, in 1974. Uh, anyway, but he was like a fifth year senior when I was a junior. And so he was eligible to run for us. And, and he helped us that year win the conference meet and we finished second in the nation. And Paul was on our team. Anyway, he said, I want to do a marathon too. And I said, well, okay, we'll go do it together. Well, my little buddy from Lennox, Al Stratmeyer, I started talking to him about it and he goes, Hey Mike, my, my grandpa and grandma winter in Phoenix. They, they, they have a, a, yeah. a trailer. They haul down there an RV. He goes, we could just stay with them. And I thought, well, that's awesome. Cause we, we hadn't figured out where we're going to stay and all that. So I said, well, check with them. And, and they, he did. And he said, Oh, they'd love to have us. So now it's Al Stratmeyer out of high school, me, Paul Borsma. Well, we had another teammate named Jackie Cutler. Jackie was a female runner for SDSU, ran cross country. She was good. Jackie was out a great runner, a varsity runner, I think all through her college career. And she said, hey, I want to run a marathon too. If you guys are going down there, can I jump aboard? You know, get in on the trip, on the road sure. trip. And we said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And then Paul had a girlfriend. And I, I, for the life of me, I have a picture. I'll put it on the website. And there's a picture of her. I cannot remember her name. Even <laughs> I spent, okay, so here's the story. We are getting ready to leave town. The race is, let's say, Saturday, or I, I can't remember the exact date, December 10th, 1977. And, and um, we're going to leave town. We decided, like, um, we, we did the math. It's a 30-hour drive. So it's you a, didn't fly down no, there. You we drove. had no money. We drove. <laughs> Paul has a Volkswagen van. And if anybody ever watches oh any movies gosh. from the 70s, a Volkswagen van is just like the motor's in the back. And when you're right. driving that thing, if you have a head-on collision, you're the first one at the accident because you <laughs> exactly. sit right in front, right on the windshield. I mean, yep. and actually, the motor in this one was between the seats. Okay, the it was bucket seats. All right. So Paul says, "Hey, I got a van. All we need it gets good gas mileage. We'll drive it." And I said, "All right, I can drive it." And so him and I, we took turns for 30 hours. Oh my this is not a great way to prep for a marathon, but we left like on, I, I wish I remember the exact times, but let's just say, I think it was like uh, Thursday morning. I think it will be there Friday morning. It gives us all day to rest up and race on Saturday. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, they were predicting a winter freezing rainstorm coming through the Dakotas. Oh, and jeepers. I am kidding you not. We got out of classes on Thursday, uh, uh, or would have been yeah, Wednesday night. We got in that thing. Paul, his girlfriend, <laughs> Jackie Cutler, and I, we hit Sioux Falls. It's raining, and it's like 35 degrees out. Oh, boy. Oh, this storm's coming. We pick up Al, and the five of us are heading down to the interstate, and we decided, okay, we need to head across. We got to get out of this weather. And we're driving south as fast as we can. And it's freezing rain right behind oh us. Oh, my gosh. Oh, we were, we were thinking we're going to get stormed in somewhere. Right. And, and those we, things don't have the best oh, traction anyhow. It was terrible. We had a mattress back there. so And <laughs> and Al didn't have a driver's license. And I don't think Jackie or the girlfriend ever drove a van. And so it was just Paul and I driving. So he took the first shift. And he got us down somewhere into Nebraska. And this thing would only go about 55 miles an hour. Well, here's the deal. I take over driving. And so Al, whenever I drove, Al and Jackie would come up and, and Al would sit and Jackie would sit on the dang engine compartment. Sure. On top, or Al would, they take turns. But they're sitting there with their legs crossed, no seatbelts. I mean, you no. know, we, we didn't worry about stuff like that. And then no. Paul and his girlfriend, they could take a nap back there or whatever. Right. And then when he drove, we three would go back there and hang out and rest and try to sure. get some sleep. Well, okay. 
I'm heading across Nebraska now and that first night, and I, I don't know what time, it's like 11, 11 30, 12 o'clock at night. And we go through some little town and I, to the life of me, I've been trying to remember the name of it. And I think I blacked it out because this is what happened. <laughs> There's one honking stoplight in this whole town, one stoplight. And I'm driving this Volkswagen van with no power brakes, no power steering. It's like from the <laughs> 1960s. And as I'm coming up to this intersection, the light goes from green to yellow you know, orange or whatever. Right. It's, it's telling you, Hey, you know, if you can stop safely, stop. If not, you, you know, this light's about to turn red. Right. And I had that moment of indecision where it's like, Oh shit. And I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to stop this, you know, without being halfway through the intersection. So I just cruised through it. And my habit was, if you ever go through a yellow light, I always kind of look as I'm going underneath it. And if it's still yellow, as far as I can see, I figure I'm good. good. Now, if you see it turn red and you're not through that intersection yet, well, you're kind of on the bubble. Well, I looked, I thought, well, I made it. I made it. I hadn't gone a half a block and my world turned red. (laughs) There must have been a cop sitting there watching that intersection. It's the only stoplight in the whole town. And the lights light up and he pulls me over and I'm thinking, oh, Oh, my gosh. So I pull over, you know, and the guy comes up to the window and he goes, yeah, he said, I stopped you for running that red light back there. And I've always, I still to this day respect police officers. I I think they they have a tough job and I wouldn't want it for all the tea in China. And I said, well, sir, this isn't my van. Uh, I'm, you know, it's my buddies here. And I, and I I go, I I just didn't feel I could safely stop with, it doesn't have power brakes. And and I was watching that light was yellow. You know, I tried to give him my side of the story. Right. And I might as well, he might, he might as well have said, yeah, whatever. (laughs) And he goes, I want your driver's license and your registration for this vehicle. And I go, no problem. And I'm, you know, getting on my driver's license. Sure. Hey, Paul, Paul. And Paul's like, I had to wake him up. He's in the back. I go, Paul, where's your registration? He wants Uh to, I got pulled over and he goes, um, geez, my registration. I think I have that in my, in a strong box back in my dorm room. I go, and I go, I go, officer, um, it's not my van. It's the guy in the back. He says the registration's in this (laughs) dorm room back in college. And the guy goes, all right, I want ID on every single person in this oh vehicle. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this guy, now you got to remember, if I, when you guys go online, I have hair down to my shoulder. Right, it's yes. 1977. I'm, I weigh about 135 pounds. I look like a drugger. Right. Paul, his nickname <laughs> is Wolfman. And you know what that oh means. Long, oh. He had this huge afro and this huge flowing beard. Giant he, beard. He looks like a drug addict. Al Strottmeyer right. is a little high school kid with long blonde hair. It's the yep. 70s. His is down to his shoulders. And these two girls, Jackie's a runner. She looks anemic. You know, pale white. <laughs> she looks like a drug addict. And this other girl, she just looks like her. Nor- and he's like, I need IDs on everybody. And so I go, hey, oh you guys, and he, we hand him over and Al goes, I, Al didn't have a driver's license. He has no ID. So sure. I told him, I said, well, officer, my friend here, Al, he's 15 years old. He, he doesn't have a driver's license. And all right, he, he takes all of our, our licenses. He goes back to the van, his oh car, and we're sitting there just yeah. sweating bullets. And all at once he walked, and this seems like forever, and people are driving by. You know, here's sure. we're pulled over, a bunch of hippies pulled over. They're gonna, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Macon County Line. But it's a right. (laughs) These guys, these cops harass people. Well, he comes back. He goes, all right, here's the deal. You're the the registration office. The license office in Pierce, South Dakota is closed at this time. You have no registration for this vehicle. As far as I'm concerned, it's stolen. Oh, my God. That kid over there doesn't have any identification on him. As far as I'm concerned, he is a runaway. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he's just like throwing the book at you. I'm just like. 
I'm wet my pants about now, you know, cause we've been sitting here for like 45 minutes. And he, right. and I said, well, officer. And I, and he, and he goes, well, you come with me. And he drags, he doesn't drag me, but I walked back right. to the police car and he, you know, and I think another guy showed up by now. <laughs> so and I feel like, Oh, we're going to jail. And right. he, he goes, so what's what's the story? And I said, well, I'm a student. We're students at South Dakota state university. We're going to Phoenix, Arizona to run this Fiesta Bowl marathon. He goes, well, how far is it from Brookings to Phoenix? I go, well, we did the math. It's about a 30 hour drive. It's, you know, it's 1500 <laughs> miles. We're leaving now. We hope to be there by, you know, like the next morning at Friday morning, our race is Saturday. All right. He gets me out, brings somebody else. And he's interrogating each one of us one at oh a time. Oh my gosh. Well, now I kind of figured out later what he was doing. Does our story, story. Or do the stories match? Right. If somebody else says, Hey, we're going to go visit my sick aunt. You know, he's in the yeah. hospital in Texas. <laughs> no, no. Right. We all had exactly the same story. And Al, when he got back there, he said, officer, if you want to call my parents, here's their phone number. They know where I am and who I am yeah. with. And my dad's Dr. Elvin Strottmeyer, and you're free to call him. You know, I, I right. please do, you know, sort of thing. And finally, Piers, I'm not making this up. It's been like an hour now. Oh, my goodness. The guy comes up, and I'm sitting there back in the car, you know, and he gives me a, we, all of our licenses back. And I get a warning ticket for the light. He didn't actually even find me. He gave me a warning ticket. Yep. He gave uh, Paul a warning ticket for not having his registration. And he said to this, and he said to Paul, you need to make us a copy of that. The address is on that letter. And I want you to mail me a copy. Because if you wow. don't, there'll be a warrant out for like, you know. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, he was playing it by the book. But yep. he finally, he finally let us go. And he goes, all right, you guys, you know, take it easy or something like that. And, and, and I said, thank you, officer. You know, and I, the whole thing was. We, we never got disrespectful. We never said, no, you know, that's the key. Yeah, we were nice. We tried to be as nice as we could. Did I mean, he ever crack a smile? Never, never. Wow. The guy never like, like said, Hey, you guys. Did he could... say like, Hey, have a great race no, on Saturday. No, no. Wow. Now it gets worse. I then I'm still driving and I start pulling, you know, I put my blinker on to make sure <laughs> I pull out into traffic. There wasn't any, it's midnight. And this dude and this other cop follow us. Oh my Here's, gosh. I, I'm like, he's still following. Like, what does he think? I'm going to make a run for it here. But right. I think he followed us all the way to the County line, wherever that oh happened. Oh my gosh. And Ella once in he, they pulled over and they turned around. Oh my gosh. I tell you, my heart was a pounding. Oh, and we, we finally got to Phoenix. We ran the did race. Did you get there in time? Oh, no, we did. We got there the next morning, <laughs> the morning, you know, we hoped to get there. We right. laid around all day trying to sleep. I have some photos. I'll put them on our website. And, and I actually ran well. And, and, and ran my best. Paul Borsma finished his first marathon. Jackie finished her first. And uh, <laughs> we then drove home. Instead of doing one 30-hour drive home, I just said, oh, after running a marathon, there's no way I can drive a van yeah. you know, alternating 30 hours nonstop. And we said, no, 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 let's do it. And we did it in three 10-hour days. There I'm not go. sure what's worse. Because well, it, maybe not. Oh, beards. I don't know if you ever sat in a van after a marathon for 10 hours. Basically, oh, I can't even imagine. And then you'd get out of, oh, you could hardly move. We'd get out. And I remember <laughs> Jackie, Al, and I, we'd stay in some flea bag motel for like 20 bucks a night. Yeah. And I mean, Jackie's in one bed, Al and I are in the other. And there's no hang. Right. And, and Paul and his girlfriend are out in the van. And <laughs> they weren't going <laughs> to spend any river. I don't know. <laughs> Well, then three days in a row of this, but then the, the final right. part of the story, and it's gone on forever, 
is when we, everybody, we were told in the dormitory what we were doing. And I don't know if you knew this in the 1970s, Coors beer, you couldn't buy it in South Dakota. They, no, they didn't have only a, Colorado. Or, yeah, it was only available in Colorado. And we had, we had orders. They go, hey, you guys coming back <laughs> through Wyoming, Colorado, Wyoming? And we go, yeah, yeah. And they go, we want you to pick us up a cake. And I, I, beers, I kid you not, we picked up like 10 cases of Coors, <laughs> Coors beer in Colorado. And when we were in Arizona, we must have took back about a case, about 10 cases of oranges and grapefruits because you could buy them for like five bucks. They're on the side right. of the road. The poor Volkswagen van, the springs were down to the freaking frame because we had overloaded it with, with you guys beer. You made it back. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, we did. And I got to be honest with you, the damn Coors beer wasn't that good. I remember, you know, they everybody made a big deal out of it. It's like, oh, I know they, you can't get it. Then they everybody wants. We did it. the same thing when I was in high school. <laughs> we, same thing. I remember drinking this stuff, thinking this stuff must taste like champagne or something. Yeah, eh, it was right. It was well, anyway, water down water. let's see if you can top done. that whopper. Well done. Okay. <laughs> Your nighttime drives between a semi driver with a gosh dang tire, <laughs> tire iron and, and, and rogue a police officers yeah. push you over and like about ready to throw you in the oh, clicker. I thought we were in jail, man. Well, <laughs> this story kind of pales compared to that, it seems like. But so, you know, everybody likes to talk about some of the successes they've had, but some of my best memories done, and you're probably the same way, are times that I never even won a race or ran fast. Oh, you know, it might've been a training run or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so this has got to be 20 plus years ago. And now I'm not talking about the Chicago marathon, which is a great event that's held in October, but there was a, a marathon back then that ran for like three years called the Lakeshore marathon. Okay. And it started, um, at the McCormick center, which is a big convention center, just, on the South side of the city and it ran along the bike paths. You know, they got miles and miles of bike paths along Lake Michigan. So I got invited to come out there and speak the very first year. And, uh, so I went, I spoke, how fit were you? Well, I saw, I was in my, what, probably mid forties or something. So I was, you know, I was back running as a master and running in the low to mid two forties, you know, okay. Okay. But I wasn't going to run it that first year. I think I was dinged up or something. But I I went and spoke, and then I went and I watched the race, and it was it was a fiasco. Oh. I mean, it it was pouring rain. It was the course wasn't marked right, and people were just complaining nonstop. So the second year, they bring me back to speak again, and. Um, I thought about running it, but it just didn't work into my schedule. But I went there and I'm thinking, okay, it's got to be better yeah, than the first learned, year. Yeah. Right. Well, it was just as bad, <laughs> if not worse. So finally, so they bring me back a third year in a row. And this time I thought, well, I'm going to run it. I thought they've got to have all the kinks worked out <laughs> and everything. And so I'm going to run it. So the race starts down by the McCormick center and, um, I think it was Chuck Engel. Remember Chuck? Chuck, mm. he's run like a zillion marathons and he still does. And he, he, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bunch of invited Kenyans and top Americans, you know, it was kind of a, more of a, an average runner's event, you okay. know, it didn't bring in any top caliber runners, but, but Chuck was a good runner and, and the gun went off and he took off and he was all by himself. But then there was me and about 
six or eight guys in a pack behind that. Hmm. So we're running along and it's a nice day to run and I'm feeling pretty good. And, and um, we're about five, six miles into the race and we see a sign that says aid station ahead. And I, you know, was hoping for a drink of water or Gatorade. So we come up over this little hill. Well, yeah, there was an aid station. All right. But it was a folded up carb table and all the bottles of water and the Gatorade was still in a big cardboard box. So nobody the, was even there. The volunteers hadn't showed up. Okay. No, they hadn't showed up. So we go by. You're not going to stop and help yourself. <laughs> no. So we keep going by and we get up to this intersection and there's really no arrows. And I'm thinking, I go into the guys in the my pack. I go, guys, which way do we turn? I go, you know, we can't go right or, or straight. I said, you know, we're, we're only eight, nine miles into the race and they go, we better take a left. So we take a left and, and then we see an arrow and we come back around and I see a guy, a volunteer, he's sitting in a chair, lean back against a tree and he's <laughs> basically asleep. So we come, we're coming up towards him. I go, sir, I go, sir, has the leader come by yet? He goes, no, you guys are in first place. Well, I knew that wasn't the case because Chuck, he was so far out in front of us, we couldn't even see him anymore. So we we keep running and now we get to an intersection and there's a bunch of volunteers there. And honest to goodness, Don, half the people are telling us to take a left. The other half are telling us to take a right. (laughs) So we take a right and we get about 300 yards to the right And a guy on a bike comes, no, you guys, you made the wrong turn. You got to come back to that intersection and then take a right and go straight. Okay. So we come back there. Well, at this point, everybody's discouraged. Most of the guys dropped out. So, but, but we don't see any mile markers and we're thinking, well, you know, and I'm running, you know, I feel pretty good. So I got this one guy with me and he's trying to qualify for Boston or something like that. And so we're running along. And all of a sudden I look down and I see the 24 mile mark. And I look at my watch and I'm thinking, there's no way we are at 24 miles. And this poor guy that was next to me, he got so disjointed and beaten down. He just stopped right there (laughs) and and dropped out. I'm done. So I thought, okay, I got two miles to go. I know I'm not going to run a marathon today, but I'm going to run as hard as I can the last two miles and get a good, you know, like 18 mile workout in. So I'm running hard down this bike path and I come around the corner and back to the McCormick center and I can see the big scaffolding they have up and I can hear music going and, and the finish line and, and what, and as I'm getting closer and closer, I can see they got a banner pulled across for the finisher and and the, the the guy up on the mic up on the top of the scaffolding had binoculars. He goes, "Here he comes! It's Dick Beardsley! Oh my God! He's gonna set a new world record!" <laughs> and I come across the finish line, and he goes, "It's a new world record! An hour and forty eight minutes!" <laughs> and yeah, I go, yeah, Kip, "Kipchoge, he'd be." <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I'm, everybody's going nuts. I'm going, no, no. I said, I did not run a 148 marathon. (laughs) And so I get up on, and the guy's just going on and on about, you know, I I just blew the world record away by 15 minutes or whatever it was at the time. And, and finally there's a, uh, a bicycler 
coming towards the finish line. He wasn't in the race, but he was, you know, biking. And so the announcer up on top starts telling the guy, get off the bike path. We're going to have runners coming in. Get off the bike path. Well, the guy wouldn't listen. And now the announcer is just starting to berate this guy. <laughs> My goodness. So this guy, he comes through the finish line. He jumps off his bike. He slams it to the ground. He he climbs up the ladder to the top of the scaffolding. <laughs> And he sucker punches the announcer right in the nose. You, you, you have to be making this up. No, done. I I am not. He sucker punched the guy. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. Surreal. That was the last year they ever had that race. It was so screwed up. That is amazing. And do you, ever, do you remember who the, I don't want to mention names, but was it like a race director who thought he could put it on a marathon? A, yes, it was a guy. That, you know, there were a lot of people back then that thought, oh, we're going to put on a marathon. I can make a lot of money. Yeah. And he he had a, I, I can't even think of his name, but he had a some kind of a race company. And it was, it's for three years in a row done, it was the most unorganized event. The fact that they got as many runners as they did, but <sighs> people were just outraged. And even the Chicago Marathon even put up on their website. We are not part of this fiasco. Not, oh, they, you know, it reminds me, I know of a good guy, Steve Kurtenbach. His dad owns Dectronics, which is yeah. a huge company in Berkins. And and uh, Steve is a race promoter, and he owned, he used to own the Black Hills Marathon. And I right. won that a couple times, and not when he owned it. And then it's kind of weird. I never understood how marathons, because usually it's like a local running club, like the Prairie Striders that say, hey, we're going to put on a marathon. Yeah. They get a bunch of volunteers. Somebody says, I'll be race director, which has got to be a labor of love. Because no back kidding. in those, you know, the amateur days, it wasn't like anybody was making money at this thing. It was, no. it was purely for the love of running and helping other people enjoy the love of running by hosting yes. a race. Well, you know, and Bob Bartling, we'll, we'll talk to Bob one day about this. Well, you eventually, bet. though, races became businesses. And, um, you know, totally they did. I know Steve Kurtenbach, some or another purchased the Black Hills Marathon and he moved it up to uh, uh, Hill City uh, because he renamed it to the Mount Rushmore Marathon. Because how do you not have a race in South Dakota, in Western South Dakota, and not try to incorporate Mount Rushmore? Oh, that's a no brainer. Oh, a lot of people thought the Black Hills Marathon, well, my gosh, I must run right by Mount Rushmore. It didn't come close to it. When I ran, it was like the other side right. of the Black Hills. Well, he did move it over there and and, and had some interesting courses. But I remember a nightmare story of, he told because he had all the new uh, chip timing. He owned all that. And he would he market himself to to help other uh, races put on. Sure. The and that was kind of new back then. Yes. And he did it in Hill City. Now, you got to remember Hill City, Minnesota or South Dakota. Uh, most people don't know what running is, let alone racing. And he had his whole thing set up on Main Street of Hill City some older lady come driving down main street and was going to run over the top of his chip timing mats, which oh I guess gosh. they're not that durable. I mean, no. runners aren't going to hurt him, but a 2000 pound Carl mat. And the story was, and plus Steve's heart, he's a good guy. He threw himself over the top of the lady's <laughs> car under, under the hood. Cause she was oh not like, he was waving, stop, stop. And she wasn't stopping. And to save his equipment, and and she stopped when he threw himself onto the hood. Oh my but gosh! Anyway, and, and so when you started telling me that story, I you got to admire races that do it well because of the amount of yes. time, effort, and and you know I, nowadays those people that own the race and manage the race probably do it as a full time job. Oh, for sure, done. I've always said this. 
every runner should have to be either a race director or a high-up volunteer, and there'd never be another complaint again. There- <laughs> you know, you, back in about 1980, the Como Zoo, which is a big right. zoo in St. Paul, Minnesota, they asked me to put on a 10K race. So I'd never put on a race before, and I set the course up and whatnot, and I had volunteer. I'm telling you, it, you know, somebody had moved some of the, the, uh, flags and the turn signs and so we people got lost i i, I got done with that and i thought i'm never doing this again <laughs> well, you know it's a lot of work it is and and it, you it, it, i'm feeling guilty here right now because you know i've done so many races in my life the only time i ever volunteered it was kind of self-serving i i was the lead bike for like the black hills marathon i did that oh, a that's few times. fun though. oh i loved it um, you know, um, the lead bike at Brookings. I, I don't know if I was lead bike. Yeah, I think I was a year. You might've been there and we did that. Yeah, maybe I, maybe you I was were just out there for you. You helped me. And, and it's the best way you to watch a court a race is from the front. Cause you get to see all the top runners up there and stuff, but, but yeah, to be in the trenches, handing out, you know, volunteering, I think it's, oh, and it could be raining oh, or those people bless windy, their hearts cold, standing out at the corner. Know? For hours, making sure the runners know which way to go. Right. Is, I mean, yeah. it's hard enough on a bad weather day for the runners, but when you're just standing out in the pouring rain or the <laughs> 40 mile an hour winds, all right, let's, that takes a lot of commitment. You know, thinking about some more stories, and, and we'll probably talk about this some another time too. Dick and I, you know, I went to those running camps in high school. I loved it. I, and I just thought, man, if I ever had the chance to put on a running camp. And so when Dick, was pretty much retired. 1986, I think was the year we did the first one. Yeah. And I was living up and teaching school in the black Hills and right up the road from us was a place called the Nemo guest ranch. And it had a restaurant cafe, a bar cabins. You could rent. And it was a dude. It was, ranch. Awesome. It was a dude ranch. It right. located in the beautiful on Nemo highway. It's pretty much between rapid city and Deadwood. So if in your mind, you can picture that's a pretty nice area. And I went beautiful. to the owners and I said, Hey, what, what's your least busy time of the year? And it's like, oh, in the fall after school starts, you know, it's hard to get people with families. They can't really come up here. So I think if we, if I remember right, I think we did it in late August, early September. We, yeah. Dick and I put on a running camp for three summers in a row. We made zero money at it. Cause if you haven't figured <laughs> out, Dick and I Nothing. are not good businessmen. <laughs> we calculated the, what it would cost to do it, but we never really factored in a pro quaff, a profit margin. No, we were just happy. Just we broke oh, even. We broke even. And I think the only one we, Dick might've got like enough money for his gas to drive from Minneapolis to rapid city and back. <laughs> and we didn't right. have to pay anything, you know, for our accommodations at the rant, the right. for meals and stuff. But anyway, we held this, this thing and it was a hoot. We had so much fun, but <laughs> One of the things I always remember is there's two stories I think of, and Dick, and I know you've got a couple, is um, one time, and I hate to put Dick, throw Dick under the bus, but he tried to poison me. No. He tried to poison me. He tried oh, to poison me. Oh, my best friend. I think he was thinking that like, if this thing was going to make a lot of money, he wanted it all to himself. Or something. No, but <laughs> as a practical joke, and I laugh it about was. it. I know you feel so bad. And I still feel bad. I was... You know, we had tons of soda. We, I don't know if we had a sponsor that, that we had free soda for all the runners and, you know, runners love Coke. And, right. Well, yeah. And I want, and I had a root beer <laughs> and I remember I put the root beer down and turned my back and unbeknownst well, I to can't me, believe I did somebody this. snuck up and put dish soap in my root oh. beer. And, and I didn't, you know, I, and, and I turned around, grabbed my root beer and, and it was all foamy. And I thought, well, man, this root beer is really good. It's really carbonated. It's full of, you know, foamy root. And I went and I sucked the foam, like, you know, sucked the head off a beer. 
and I sucked them dang soap fumes right down my throat. Oh. I tell you, I was a hurting you. And Dick, I've never you seen were. you look so scared in your life. I was. Because my throat was like irritated and I couldn't quit oh coughing. Oh my God. And, and, I thought you were going to die on me. And everybody was like, Mike, are you okay? And I go, shit, I don't know what's wrong with this root beer. You know? <laughs> and Dick finally God. fessed up and he, and I, I have to, oh. I have to embarrass him a little bit about that. But the other story was we were finished the camp one year. And uh, <laughs> Paul Young and his wife, Kathy, they were part of our uh, our camp right. uh, staff. Kathy is a registered nurse. Paul is an exercise physiologist like I was. We met in grad school. And Paul would do sessions for our runners on, on you injury prevention, injury treatment, uh, stretching, and all that. Well, we had finished up the camp, and we were up at our house, and we were leaving. <laughs> and I think you we were going to go down to pay Lorna Squire was another uh, uh, yeah, staff another, member. And, right. and Dick was riding in the car with Karen and I. And we lived in the woods and, and we, it was nice weather. We had our windows rolled down. Well, there's these things called bark beetles and beards. I don't know. How do you describe a bark beetle? It looks like a freaking, oh, it looks like a praying mantis it's, it does. and they're big ugly. Wings, oh, they're ugly. Big head. Oh, they're ugly. And when they grab a hold of you, it's like a grasshopper. They kind of cling to you. <laughs> well, I'm driving my old car and I've got my running shorts on. And one of them freaking bark beetles comes <laughs> flying through the window and lands right in my crotch, right on the inside of my leg. And it grabs a hold of me like it's going to, like a death grip. Well, Karen's sitting in the middle, Dick's over on the right-hand side. And I'm, I start swerving and that we're on a narrow one lane road. And I'm the yeah. swerving back and forth. And, and they're like, they don't know what's going on. And I go get her. And I'm thinking there's this bug in my, well, very delicate area. And Dick and Mary Karen are like, they're like freaking out. They're thinking I'm having a seizure or something like that. And they're trying to grab the wheel from me. And, and Paul and Kathy are behind me. And they're thought, what is going on up there? Because they see the car swerving from side to side. They thought we we're going to hit a tree. Oh my and I finally gosh. get this darn bark beetle off my leg. And Dick and Karen, I thought they were going to wet their pants. Oh. Once they figured out what was going on, and and you know, oh. it, it probably doesn't seem that funny to anybody now, but you had to be there. Oh <laughs> you had to my be there. gosh! And I think you have two, you have two bug stories. I'm going to remind you. One is at Rapid City, but the other one was up in Bruce, South Dakota. The box beat. Uh, oh, gee, oh, darn! I forgot. First, tell the one in That's Rapid a, City. Okay, <laughs> so we were out visiting Mike Spearfish, and Karen, yeah. Yeah, and Spearfish, yeah, and uh, we went down to the uh, tennis courts one night and we were, you know, playing tennis and whatnot. It was dark. I think the lights yeah, were on at the court and everything. And all of a sudden, I don't know. Was it a bee or a, it was a bark a, beetle. They, these huge, bark, it was a big bark oh, beetle. The, the lights attracted them. Just like the one that oh. nipped on Mikey's groin area. <laughs> and, but mine got down my back. It was on his, didn't it? It was on your shirt, on your back. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and we go beards, beards. Cause it always oh, huge. And you looked over your shoulder at it. And, <laughs> and I start running and, around like a, and you, and like Beards, a chicken with its head cut off. You, Beards took off running. And now you got to remember the bug is on his shoulder and running ain't helping. <laughs> and I'm screaming and, and yelling. Screaming like, oh my God, get it off, get it off. And he's running thinking like, well, maybe if you run fast enough, the wind velocity will blow the bug oh, off. Now, Beards, you're fast, but you're not that fast. So we started oh, chasing you. And we're like, right. with our tennis rackets trying to, and we, but you kept on running us. So we couldn't, and he kept running and we were trying to swat this bug oh. off your back. And then finally you stopped 
and we thought, oh, it must be gone. And you looked, and it was still there. It's kind of like Christmas vacation <laughs> with a, started running with a again. squirrel on the back of Clark's right. whatever. And so then you took oh. out. Anyway, we finally got that. Uh, you, I never, I about peed my pants. From Gosh, that. dang bark beetles. <laughs> and then <laughs> the box elder beetle. What happened in Bruce? Yeah. So for a while, for about a year, Mary and I lived in, for one year I worked for somebody besides myself. And that was for, after I retired from running, before we moved back to the farm, I worked for Lando Lakes for uh, for a one year out near Brookings, a little town called Volga. Well, we lived in a, we rented a little house in this little town called Bruce, South Dakota, oh, north of deep. Brookings. So anyhow, one day I'm out for a, a morning run and, you know, I was, I was still you know, I was still pretty fit. And so I was, you know, still training, you know, pretty hard. And so anyhow, I, I finish up a run and I'm just flying and I finish up the run. And you know, when you're, when you stop right away, you kind of, you know, you're trying to catch your breath. And so I kind of bent over, you know, with my hands on my knees and I had a pair of sunglasses on. Well, when I bent over the sunglasses, I suppose from being sweaty, they slipped off. Well, when I, reached down to kind of try to pick him up. I kind of misstepped and I stepped on him and I broke the bridge, you know, between the two lenses. So anyhow, I take him into the house. So that night I'm up in my little office doing a little book work. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to fix up my, um, my glasses. It was in the fall, I believe. I'm going to fix my glasses. So I got out a tube of super glue and, you know, they got those real thin, narrow points on them. So I take the cap off, I open up the tube, I got it in my right hand, and I've got my glasses in my left hand. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this box elder bug flies up into my face. Well, just natural instinct, I went like this to try to get it off, and that gosh dang tube of super glue went right into my right eye and glued my eye shut. So, so, so how how long did it, I mean? So you just reflex you you swatted instantly. at it, and, it instantly I, and the tube the, the the point of the tube went up into my eye, and as soon as I blinked, it it immediately glued my eye shut. So I walked downstairs. I go, Mary, and I got this super glue tube hanging out of my, oh my eye. Gosh. So, so she by this time by the time she got me into the hospital in Brookings. It's like 11 o'clock at night. So they called. A, Were you freaking called, out at all? I was. I thought I'm going to probably be blind. Oh, my. And so they call the eye surgeon. So they get him out of bed. He comes in. They take me right into surgery and they put me to sleep and they scrape the eye and dig things out. And then I've got a patch on it and I had to have the patch on. I couldn't open that eye for like five days. Well, the next day. I, the, uh, they were coming in to give me a shot or something. And, uh, the, the hospital was a teaching, um, yeah. a teaching yeah, nurses hospital. Yeah. yeah. And so the, I, 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 I hear these nurses and the main nurse outside my door and they, she goes to the student nurses. Yeah. This is the guy that super glued his eyes shut last night. <laughs> They're all laughing. So, so they walk in. And I got this patch in my eye and I'm, I'm, I'm probably, you know, drugged up a little bit from the surgery and stuff. And she goes, uh, Richard, we need to give you a, a shot of penicillin or something oh, yeah, in your hip. She goes, yeah. yeah. She goes, are you okay if one of the student nurses doing it? 
does it? And I go, well, you know, they got to learn sometimes. So I kind of bend over and this, this young nurse, she gets this big syringe and her hand is shaking like a leaf in a hurricane. And she goes, <laughs> bang. Well, she hips my hip bone. Oh. I go, oh, and she bends the needle 90 degrees and well, you pulls have no it back out. <laughs> it's got a 90 degree bend in it. You have no meat on your bones anyway. No. And and uh, the the head nurse goes, uh, you were a little too far to the right. <laughs> so she goes, Mr. Beardsley, are you okay if she tries it again? Oh, my I God. It, she, so I said, sure. So this time she got her right in the cheek. Oh, and I, Lord. It was fine. But anyhow, thankfully, I was in the hospital for like a week. And, and when they first took the patch off, it was so blurry. I, I I could not read anything on the, the eye chart. So they, they went back in, did more surgery, put the eye patch on. And then eventually, thankfully, it came around. So, I, thanks for bringing that I one up there, say, Don. Well, you know, I shouldn't have <laughs> laughed because I'm laughing at your misery, but you were laughing too. So well, I think maybe, oh, yeah. maybe we have time for one more. I, you know, we always, I always think about, we always talk about our best, you know, oh, I ran my best race here, my best race there and stuff. Right. I'm going to, let's turn it around. Beard, your worst race ever. I'm going to go because mine, I, I hope isn't. Yeah, go I've ahead. Got, well, I've got several. I had a hard time picky. Which one is my worst race ever? And I think there's a, there's a lesson here. Um, you know, after uh, I, after Boston in 83, I, uh, I was on a high, but, uh, right. you know, I was so pumped up and running for Brooks and, and I just ran 218. And for some reason, I wanted to run fast. I always, you always want more. You always want more and you get a little greedy. And I decided I'm going to go run grandma's in June. So from April, May, June, two months later, I thought, well, Beardsley ran 209 at grandma's. That's a fast course. I just yes. ran 218. I'm going to go up there and get another personal best, you know, cause I, I'll just recover from this 218, you know, train a little bit, maintain my fitness and go do it and, and run even faster. And, um, you know, I was pretty good plan. Oh, and I called Scott Keenan, the race director. Oh, Mike, we'd love to have you. Yo, yeah. You know, you qualified for the Olympic trials. We'd love to have you come run our race. Right. He put me, you know, I got a room, I think closer to the finish line this time than five miles out of town and all <laughs> right. expenses, you know, your race number covered, all that sort of stuff. And I went up there with Karen and, uh, and, and, um, Callie was still a baby and Brian Fendrick and Brian's a great, great guy uh, oh, Fenny from Lincoln high school. I bring up Lincoln high school. They had so many outstanding runners and uh, Brian was one of powerhouse. them. And he rode up there with us cause he wanted to run. I think it was his first marathon. And so he was excited. And uh, I think we might even stopped at rush city and uh, cause Brian reminded me of this and, and we might've spent the night either on the way up or the way back. Probably. And I'm sure you probably he did. Said he slept, we were on the farm he, there. He remembered he slept in the same room with Dick Beardsley's second place finish award. That clock you got. Right. He, he slept in the room and he stared at that clock like, damn, that's the, <laughs> that's the second place award for Boston. It cool. is anyways, and it helped inspire him. So we got up there and I was full of myself thinking, man, I'm going to hammer this. Well, I was having some, some, as a lot of runners do, some foot issues, knee pain which eventually needed to have surgery. And I was thinking, well, my, I was over pronating, which was causing a, a well, people's knees pain usually start in their feet. Well, I couldn't right. afford to go to a podiatrist and get like orthotics made. No, I freaking kind of tried to rig up. I had my Brooks racing shoes. I wore a Boston still. And I had to kind of 
broke the counter over because they weren't made for durability. They were light. They were probably made for like one or two races. Well, I'm going to get another race out of them. And I put some wedges in these shoes on the inside, the medial side, to try to keep my foot from overpronating to help sure. my knee pain. And I taped, oh, you know, taped these suckers in, went out and jogged around for a mile or two. And then I thought, well, that felt pretty good. Well, Beards, I don't have to tell you this. Running a mile <laughs> no. or two isn't like running a marathon. Right. And the race no. took off. And I went out with the lead, you know, whatever, sub 218 pace, whatever it was. And as I kept running, my foot started getting hot. And what was happening is I was that those wedges were rubbing against the my, the ball of my foot, the heel of my foot, because I had, and they were causing a blist, blisters to form. And you kind of try to put the pain out of your mind. Beards, you've had blisters, I'm sure, running. Oh, and for you, sure. You know, man, it's hurting, but I, I, I just got to gut it out. I'll just gut it out. And I was running, but this was like 10 miles into the race, and my foot's on freaking fire. And I could feel every time I'd come down, I, it's just like, I hate to say like sandpaper. Did you ever think about maybe pulling them oh, out? I, 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 I kind of think I might be ultimately did. And then it yeah. was like, it was worse. It was like, now I'm right. I was over pronating beards. I ended up, I dropped out. I got to about 17 miles. My foot hurt so bad. And I was just, and I had to, I was so discouraged. So despondent. Sure. You know, when you lose that spark, oh, the yeah. fire in the belly was out. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And, you know, and as you maybe know, at grandma's, the road is closed. I don't know what that highway right. is. There ain't no cars. Like, I'll just stumble right into the finish. No. No, unless there's an emergency vehicle. It's the only thing that's going to go up that road during the race. Because there's exactly. like 8,000 runners. Well, I'm walking and walking and walking. And, of course, people, spectators, like, oh, come on, buddy. It's okay. Oh, you yeah. can do it. Keep running. Keep running. And I may have tried to start running in it. My foot hurt so bad. And I, I was so discouraged. I walked over and don't laugh too hard to Lake Michigan on the shore. And you can see the dark no, Lake Superior, Lake Superior, Lake excuse, Superior. excuse me, Superior. And you can see the frick, that bridge at the finish line. Right. It looks like it's like, that's <laughs> ah, only four or five miles. Yeah. No, it was like nine miles. Exactly. Beards, I walked that beach as far as I could walk. I don't know about you. did. Oh, I don't remember. I that. walked. I finally don't even ask me how I, I, it's a blur. I got to the finish line somehow or another. And, and, uh, you know, I don't remember finding Karen or going to the hotel. Oh. And the good news is Brian Fender at grand two twenty one or two twenty two and change. And, Holy uh, cow. or it might've been two twenty one and change. Now that I'm thinking of it, I should know this. And Dang. he ran, he ran great. I know he was in the top 25. Um, had to, oh, yeah, he was up there in the thick of it. And I think he said he was on sub two, like around two nineteen pace. Cause he also then was thinking about the Olympic trials for 1984. He had to run like sure. seven or something like that. And he said he was on pace for a while, but it slipped away towards the end. So Fenny ran great. So he and I are riding back to Sioux falls together. I'm in like my deep depression you know, from, my, right. from dropping out of grandma's. You know, the only good thing is I had that 218 in the bag from a few months earlier. Yes. So I kind of had that to keep me bolstered, but no, I tell you two months earlier, two months earlier not a few months, uh, two months earlier, but you know, it, it's just, it's hard to bring those memories up, even though they they were a valuable lesson. I, I had to have knee surgery later that summer to kind of fix what was going on. But yeah, birds, do any you know, race come to mind that you just go, man, if I had to, I'm glad I wouldn't want to relive that one over. What was it? Yeah. The, well, the one that sticks out for me. So in 1981, you know, I ran a marathon in oh. January, February, 
March, June, <laughs> and August. And they're all world class. Faster, under, faster, yeah, faster. Faster, faster, faster. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyhow, that fall I get invited and you know, done. I you know, you know me, I, I recovered quickly right. and you know, let's say the marathon was on a Sunday. By Wednesday, I'm back regular training again, which is stupid. Well, I get invited to the International Peace Race in Youngstown, Ohio. It was a 25-kilometer U.S. championship, and there was a lot of studs there. In fact, uh, Randy Thomas won it that day and set a new American record. Well, I went into it. I was tired. I had lost that fire in the belly, mm. you know, it'd been such a long season. And not only did I run five marathons, I ran probably 25 other exactly. shorter races, yeah. you know, and I went into it. And from the get go, it felt like I had cement bags wrapped around my legs. And I, I think I finished like 10 minutes behind Randy. I mean, I, and I was one of the favorites going mm. in. I mean, and it was a hilly course. I, and I was so down and out after that. I thought, Oh my gosh. But, but I realized it was a good lesson that, you know, I, I, I had to make sure that my, my recovery days, I took some recovery days and then I didn't train 120, 130 miles a week, 12 months out of the year. Yeah. I started taking then. So after that race, I, I, I barely ran the month of November and then slowly started picking up in December and, we, and just running easy. And then we know and, what happens and in I got, April of 82, you're in 208. Then, right. So got my mojo back, but, um, <laughs> it yeah, is tough. So, you know, when you, when you don't meet your expectation, you know, you went into that and I, I'm not that I was at your level, but you know, you always kind of have preset goals. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you try sometimes to convince yourself, you know, I've dropped out of a few marathons cause I was undertrained, and yet I went in there with the attitude, I'm going to break 220. and you hadn't right. done the training and you thought, well, I I've done the training in the past. I always said, I'm trying to, I'll do it on memory. <laughs> Like a memory. Yeah. Well, memory is, is, it will lie to you. You know, you'll lie to yourself. Oh, yeah. You'll tell yourself I'm in better shape than I think I am. And no, sometimes you're in better shape than you think you are. And and that's kind of a cool right. way to find out when you run above your expectation. But, um, it's, 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 life is that way. We learn sometimes we all have lessons from the, the mistakes we make, but anyway, Beards, oh, I, be running or I can't believe we've gone general. through another 45 minutes of, 40, almost 50 minutes done. So uh, listen, we want to we want to thank everybody for listening. We I tell you, Dunn and I have so much fun doing this. We really <laughs> do. And if done. you have any questions <laughs> for us or comments about the show, you can contact us directly on our website at beardsanddunpod.com or leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or X, all at Beards and Dunn Pod. Yeah, and if you're watching on YouTube, of course, we'd really appreciate it if you hit the subscribe or the like button. Let you us bet. know you're watching. And uh, Beards, it's always a joy. I always get an uplift from doing these, and I don't care if anybody else Me does. Too. I enjoy them, and so let's let's keep rolling, bud. We'll see you next week, hey, buddy. Have a good day. All right, you too. Bye bye. <laughs>